Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into this week's episode of Tuesdays Are For Talking. I'm your host, Nathan Brown. This week, I had a great conversation with Pastor Greg Mitchell. Greg is a senior pastor at Every Nation Church in Vancouver, Canada. Greg holds a Master's of Christian Studies in Systematic Theology from Regents College. He also has a Doctorate of Ministry in Leadership and Discipleship from Northwest Graduate School of Ministry, and he has a Diploma in Counseling. Greg is a phenomenal leader, has amazing insight into the human psyche and the human soul. And he's going to talk with us today about what he thinks is the biggest problem plaguing all of us right now. So let's jump into it. Here we go. Episode 17 with my friend, Greg Mitchell. I've been really looking forward to this podcast, this interview, this conversation for quite a while. Greg, thanks so much for being here. And would you just go ahead and tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I love being down at your church, and uh, it feels like extended family, so it's good that we're able to do this together. We have 11 children, so you can uh, you can be praying for me. I'd appreciate that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I admire your bravery, but question your judgment. Um, so. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. I do that daily, actually. Uh, yeah, we have three biological children, uh, one adopted, and then some kids that they would call, people would call foster care, but We've been a family now for over 10 years, so we describe ourselves as a forever family. And so there's another seven of those in various levels of relationship with us, but, uh, but I am not bored. So, uh, so that's a little bit on the family front. Debbie and I have been married for almost, it's going to be almost 35 years. So we're pretty excited about that. Our anniversary is coming up in a month or so. Yeah, so I'm up here in Vancouver, Canada, and I say process. And so we planted our church with every nation about 20 years ago. And so it's just been a uh, it's been a fantastic journey. Well, we we are glad to have you. People in the audience can't see us, but I'll, but I'll show you uh, on our actual on our mosaic podcast. If you if you could take a look at my phone, the 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 episodes that I have saved at the top of my list, Greg are your sessions from our men's retreat in 2016. So anytime I go and open the Mosaic podcast app on my iPhone, the first thing I see is men's retreat with Greg Mitchell, Fearless Men. And it was such a such a great time to have you in, a great time of ministry. I know you've been here a couple of times now, but that, that was some, that's something I listen to that about once a year. Wow. And wow, it's just great. become part of my rhythm of life to go back and be reminded of all the great things that you shared with us. And mm-hmm. I have shared it with countless people. Like I, I literally couldn't tell you how many people mm-hmm. I've shared that with over the years because it was, it was so good. So thank you for your ministry to our church over the years. And of course, thanks for being here today. So yeah. Greg, we find ourselves with a, a real common scenario here, as the entire world does. We, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and yeah. uh, it's affecting every single person in every single country in the world. There's no one unaffected by this. Now, of course, it affects yeah. some people differently than others. But as you sort of look back over the last three to four months and, and where we are, and you sort of assess the situation, both locally there in your congregation and your town, and, and and as you look to your neighbors to the south here in the in the states, and as you talk to other friends around the world, what is it that you have found that's the biggest problem that we are actually facing in this time right yeah. now? Yeah. Well, there's so many ways to look at this, Nathan. It's uh, we can just look at it physically and see that the pandemic itself is incredibly sobering, and I don't think that there's anyone who's been kind of immune from this touching them at, at, at some point, either through a relative or a friend or knowing somebody who's caught this virus. So it's very sobering at that level. And then we look at the 
economic fallout because of this, which is a which is a different level. And then the thing that that I think a lot about about how it affects how we treat those physical and and economic realities is really at a at an emotional level. And what I've found is that anxiety seems to be the thing that's really risen up to the surface. So maybe in people's lives it was kind of a a hidden issue that oh every once in a while they feel a little bit they would call it stressed or things like that but but when this pandemic hit it really felt like in people's lives just lots of things were brought into question and whether it was an economic worry or am i going to catch this virus or is my grandparents what's going to happen to them or whatever it would be and it seems as though anxiety has really become a topic that is really i think come to the forefront of our minds there is no doubt that that is plaguing and pressing on everyone. I, I know it certainly was for me. Before we got started, I was telling you about my newfound love. Some people may say obsession with singing, <laughs> swinging the golf clubs and, and getting out to the golf course. But the truth of the matter is the, the reason that I have sort of pressed into making that part of my weekly routine is is that the the pressure the mental stress the mental anguish the anxiety over the moment i mean of course you being a pastor you understand clearly what we're facing on sort of restructuring and redesigning even how we do church so everything we do has had to shift um, on a yeah. dime and I found that for me anyway, go, going for a walk or a hike or even trying to read a book was not enough to settle my mind um, and to calm myself. And so I, I get out there for four hours in the grass and the sunshine and chase the little white ball around. It requires just enough thinking that I can't worry about other things, um, but not so much that I can I can actually decompress and de-stress under the sunshine. Uh, it's amazing how just finding something like that uh, was so important mm -hmm. for me. My wife says, man, I, I never thought I'd say this, but I like you so much better when you get to play golf once a week. Um, <laughs> because well, I'm just, a mountain biker basically. and I, I wish that you could tell my wife that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we could bring on the ladies uh, in a little bit here and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> share some tips and tricks there. But uh, at least for me, I've, I've had to find that, but I'd like to actually go a little deeper because you have some understanding about anxiety that is at a level that I can't quite articulate. Why don't you just take us, let's back up just one step and talk to us a little bit more about what anxiety actually is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the first thing that's helpful to know is that there's a difference between stress and anxiety. Uh, stress, especially at this time uh, in our lives, is called reality. <laughs> so stress is huh. just difficult circumstances. And um, but, but what we do is we kind of think that stress is the same thing as anxiety. And so if we say that we're stressed, um, sometimes what we're really saying is we're anxious, but we don't really have language for that. So stress is challenging situations and anxiety is how we deal with those challenging situations. And so that's a helpful thing to distinguish that it's actually possible to be in stressful situations and not feel anxious. Wow. Because uh, stress is about reality that I can't control but anxiety is how I react or respond to those stressful situations. And then we can have some control over that. So maybe that's kind of a first thing to understand about, about what anxiety is. So I guess, let me ask a follow-up question then. How do you know the difference? How do you know if you're yeah. just experiencing stress or if you're full blown in anxiety? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So if stress 
is a situation. It's simply reality. It's simply what's going on. If I'm struggling at my work or I don't have work right now, or the kids are out of control, or there's something difficult happening, that's just, that's what stress is. And then it's helpful to understand that how I'm reacting to that reality would be called anxiety. So stress is really less about an emotional state. It's more about a physical reality. And then anxiety would be that emotional state in how I'm responding to those difficult situations. That's really, really good. So when you think about sort of an anxious response, I assume that for some people, for all people, probably there's a varying degree of anxiousness and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe some of it is a normal response. I don't know. I'll let you tell me, but, but maybe anxiousness is an anxiety is a bit of a normal response to stressful situations, but how do we know when anxiety is becoming part of our identity versus something that sort of happens almost reflexively to a stressful circumstance. Yeah. So it's, it's easy to think that maybe all anxiety is bad or it's, it's neutral. There really is some anxiety that's just appropriate. If I'm in a house that's on fire, I should be a little freaked out. So not all anxiety is bad, but I think you, you've touched on something that anxiety can kind of become a, a defining of who we are, that it's, it's a way that we approach life. And uh, this is when it becomes problematic, when it becomes kind of the lens through which we see the world around us. Mm. There's, a, there's a definition of anxiety that I think is, is really helpful. And it's simply this, that anxiety is what it feels like to mistrust God. Wow. Anxiety is what it feels like to mistrust God. This is based on on Mark 440, where Jesus is in a boat with his disciples. A big storm comes, and they're appropriately, stressful situation, appropriately freaking out. They're a little anxious. They're going to drown. And then Jesus says a fascinating thing to them. He says, "Uh, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? What a fascinating thing to say. Like, what does that have to do with anything, you know? Mm. But what he's doing in that moment is he's linking this anxiety to uh, mistrust in who he is. That I find to be very, very helpful because just as you're saying that it's hard to identify anxiety, I think it's even harder to identify whether we're walking in faith or not. And so uh, what anxiety does is it's kind of like an amber light or something that is a emotional reaction in us, kind of as a signal that says, hey, Am I trusting God in this place or am I putting upon myself responsibilities and and kind of making it all about me that's kind of blinding me to seeing God being present in this moment? So it's almost like a like a warning light on a dashboard that would say it, in my anxiety is it making it difficult for me to trust God is it a sign of my mistrust and not believing that he's really in control of the situation? And how does that play into situations that are compounding that are, I mean, you talked about a burning house. Um, You know, if you're in that Mm -hmm. kind of situation, you can experience fear, anxiety, and faith, I think, 
all at the same mm-hmm. time. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and so talk to us a little bit about the mental dance when you're facing something that is a real threat, whether it's an immediate real threat, uh, like a burning house, or maybe it's a systemic threat, like you know, here in, here in America, I'm, sh- I'm sure you've heard a lot about what's been taking place in our country in terms of mm-hmm. the renewed conversations around racism and the, the systemic threats to black people in America. Those, those are like real long term things that yeah. create sort of a pattern of anxiety. Talk to us uh, about, again, wh- whether it's immediate or systemic, when you're sort of finding yourself living in both fear and anxiety, but also still holding faith at the same time and what that dance looks like to maintain some health uh, within your own constitution. So it's like different situations have different meaning to us. So some people can be in a, uh, in a particular kind of situation, let's say they feel misunderstood at work. And for some people, that, that stressful situation can just be a trigger for them to take them into full-blown anxiety where nobody understands me and I don't know where God is in this. And it kind of built on itself really quickly. Other people could be that in that exact same situation and hardly feel any stress at all. So in all of our lives, we have certain situations that are bigger triggers for us than other situations. For some of us, it might be you know economic uncertainty. And that just is a huge trigger. I talk to some people that say, you know what? Uh, that that economic uncertainty actually isn't blinding to me. I can still see Jesus here. But for others of us, when we're in that place, that situation becomes blinding. So we can tell then whether we're anxious, whether this stressful situation is overwhelming for us, is whether we can still see Jesus in the moment. And if it's difficult to see what Jesus is doing, to be able to go, okay, Uh, This is a hard situation. There's no excusing it or minimizing it. It's just, it's difficult. And, uh, uh, but is that situation blinding to me or not? That's a really helpful question to ask. Can I still see him or am I just kind of freaking out with millions of thoughts running through my head? Most people listening to this podcast are probably connected to Mosaic Church in some kind of way. And are likely either believers in Jesus or at least exploring and comfortable with the idea enough to to be listening to a church podcast. But when you talk about anxiety fundamentally being a mistrust in God, I guess I have to ask the question as we try to help friends of ours who don't know God, who may not believe in God, they're agnostic or maybe they're atheist. Does that mean that anxiety is a permanent part of their life and there's no help for that until they can find a way to trust God? Oh, Nathan, I am so glad you brought that up. That is outstanding because here's what's true. And it's just killing me that we aren't connecting the dots. So what you'll see right now in society is they're describing anxiety as the mental health condition of the 21st century. Wow. Like it is, it is the most common mental health issue on the face of the planet. And just in terms of college students, they're saying that at any given point in time, 54% of college students have felt overwhelming anxiety in the last year. So this is a super big deal. Hmm. But what we aren't doing in society is connecting the dots between saying, hey, maybe there's a link between the secularization of our society 
and this increase of anxiety. That maybe as we, uh, what's the message? Believe more in yourself. It's all up to you. You, uh, you know, you become a better version of yourself. You create your own reality. Mm -hmm. All of those sayings sound super empowering, but at the end of the day, it just means all the pressure's on you. And so it's no wonder as society is telling everybody to believe in themselves that their anxiety is going to the roof because that anxiety is actually appropriate. I mean, if I had to depend upon myself for my future, uh, I should be freaking out, right? <laughs> because I'm just not qualified to be my own Lord and Savior. I'm just, I am not equipped for that job. And so I think that what you're saying is, is, uh, is super important, that one of the primary ways we can show the relevance of Jesus to our society is by connecting the dots between trusting in ourselves instead of God in the resulting anxiety that occurs. It's fascinating. So what I hear you saying is that the persistence of anxiety in our society actually is a apologetics pathway for us to share the gospel. I mean, is, is that, am I understanding Absolutely. correctly? Absolutely. It's, uh, it's one of the clearest ways for them to see that maybe them being their own God isn't working out super well. And we can have compassion there. It's not like we stand back in judgment because we're really working through those same things, aren't we? Absolutely. But I think it becomes, but at least we have a solution. We have a place to go with our anxiety. And it just breaks my heart that you see an entire culture that is just feeling more and more overwhelmed by all that you're describing going on in society today and really having no place to turn. That's so good and so helpful to think about, especially, you know, here when we're facing like the trifecta of pandemic, economic recession, and then as it relates to the race conversation in America, there's a lot of different thoughts and opinions about how to go yeah. about that. But what we do here, here in America, is a huge segment of our population screaming to say, see me, look at me. And, and you, you pile all of those things in together and then put it in a blender with humanistic solutions. Yeah. And what you get is a is an anxious smoothie to drink for breakfast every That's morning. That's right. And so what we need to do is we need to back up and say, how do we even start taking bites out of this elephant? Like, where do, you, where do we even start? And what's helpful to know is that the first place that scripture starts is actually in the area of anxiety. Because if I'm mistrusting God, then pretty much anything I do isn't going to be helpful. But if I'm walking in faith and love, then pretty much anything I do will be helpful. But what is the difference between the two is whether it's coming out of a heart of peace and trust in Jesus or out of a heart of anxiety and kind of having to make something happen. Or, of course, doing the opposite. We can talk about what anxiety looks like or do the opposite and just kind of putting our head in the sand and hoping that things would go away. But uh, really, the first response needs to be uh, looking at our own heart and say, what's motivating me right now? And as we have clarity in our motivation, it's going to dramatically shape what our behaviors look like in just a minute. So helpful. I think w what you're describing is something that I sort of challenge myself on a daily basis. As you know, Paul talks about in Philippians 4, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. Yeah. yeah and so I, I find for myself, I actually want to hold on to the tension between contentment and complacency yeah. um, because I don't think we're called to be complacent. 
but we are called to be content. So when you think about those two different words and how we, we, we look around and things aren't the way they should be, and if we are image bearers of God, and that does mean stewarding the earth and stewarding creation as he would, as his regents, you know, here on the planet, we, we should not be complacent with, with things that aren't up to his standards, though we know you know, the, the only city of God that will be perfect is the one that is yet to come. Uh, but, right. but, but, but with that being said, as we face what we face and we don't want to be complacent, whether it's coronavirus, economics, race, racism, you name it. How do we sort of navigate the whole the whole concept of being content no matter the circumstance and yet not being complacent when there is justice yeah. that still needs to be done? It's. It's so important that that we that we consider these things, because um, here's the truth: nobody changes without stress and anxiety. If 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 life is just going on and and everything is just status quo and it's all fine and that complacency that you're describing, nobody's going to change. And so, one of the great things that's happening in this moment, at least in North America, is there are voices that are refusing to be silenced. And what that does is that raises the anxiety in society. That's actually not a bad thing. It's a necessary thing if we're mm. going to see change happen. Mm. But the follow-up question needs to be said quickly. Now that uh, things are no longer being swept under the carpet, we're seeing things as they really are. As that anxiety goes up, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to Am I going to go to God with that anxiety or am I going to somehow manage it within my own ability and resources and, and uh, what we can talk about later maybe is reactive thinking. And so the anxiety is actually an essential uh, prerequisite for change. And so watch people who don't want to change and they're organizing their entire life around avoiding anxiety and stress. And so, uh, uh, this is actually a golden moment for our cultures to be able to say, hey, even in terms of the pandemic, what have I been trusting in? And now we're asking some deep questions. That deep questions raises our anxiety. And now what are we going to do with that anxiety? Wow. I'm just processing everything you just said. That's a lot. Um, mm. If you're listening to the podcast, maybe just hit that 30-second backup a couple times and listen to that again. That was good right there. Um I, I do want to take a step back, though. I, I, th I still think that sometimes it, it can be tough to know, like, am I functioning with a healthy amount of anxiety that is a motivator for positive change? Or, again, I, I think the way I framed it earlier, it says it become identity. Maybe you have some better terms for that or some better ways to frame it. But ha have I become sort of a slave to anxiety in a sense? Good, good. Um, and, and, and what are some things we can look at? I mean, if I were to go to my wife and say, hey, uh, I want to know how you're perceiving me in these three ways and sort of use that as a mirror to reflect back to, to better understand myself and maybe how much my own anxiety or, or, or anxiousness or what have sure. you is, is, is affecting me. What should we be looking at? That's really great. So let's then let's talk about that. Let's talk about what are the how can we tell whether our anxiety has moved out of the place of, of causing healthy tension and is now moved into a place of, of mistrusting God. So there seems to be two extremes that anxiety lead us towards. And they're both actually forms of control. Um, if I'm not trusting God, then I've got to control things myself. 
And what these two extremes of control look like is underfunctioning or overfunctioning. Maybe you've heard this in kind of pop psychology, they talk about uh, fight, flight, or freeze. I don't know if you've heard of those terms before, but that's really what's being talked mm -hmm. about here is that fight is overfunctioning. I'm just gonna become louder and bigger and stronger or, and just put more energy into this moment and just crush it, you know? Or it's flight, I'm gonna underfunction. I'm gonna stick my head in the sand or uh, go play yet another round of golf, Nathan, another round. And I'm just gonna hope that this whole thing goes away <laughs> uh, while I'm in my happy place, you know? Yeah. And so it's interesting to consider anxiety sending us in both of those directions. Because when I've thought of anxiety in the past, I've always thought about it as being over-functioning, about being panicked and kind of doing nervous energy that's just multitasking and just running around and, and accomplishing a lot of things. And that's true, anxiety can look like that. But what it actually also looks like, and this is what I tend toward personally, is it looks like under-functioning. Mm -hmm. So I've noticed this in my marriage, that uh, my wife will get anxious about something. And then uh, I respond to her like, chill out it's fine it's and i'll use jesus words you know like god's got this in control it just makes her more upset you know yes. <laughs> and uh and here's what i've noticed is the more that i used chill out language the more anxious she would get hmm. and i thought what what are you doing i'm trying to help you trust in jesus here and you're just getting more anxious well actually she was actually responding to my anxiety but my anxiety looks like slowing it down, not taking it seriously, sweeping things under the carpet. And she would get more over-functioning actually because I was under-functioning. And I discovered that uh, my anxiety was producing anxiety in her. One of the things that they talk about anxiety is that it's viral, is that it's, it's uh, easily communicable. And so as to the degree that I underfunctioned, the people around me needed to overfunction. And of course, you find the opposite of this. As mm -hmm. we overfunction, then everybody underfunctions around us. But what's going on in that in both of those scenarios is the passing around of anxiety between people. So I think that that's the first thing. We can go a little bit more if you want me to talk more. But the first idea is that anxiety, what it looks like, is either underfunctioning or overfunctioning. It's interesting when you were describing that. Um... Completely and totally hypothetical situation with your wife. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking you, you're you're asking her to do what she wishes she could do that she cannot do, and uh, therefore it produces more anxiety. I mean, is that sort of the the crazy cycle that we can introduce into our homes? Well, yeah, and uh, we're, I'm actually asking her to do something that I'm not doing myself, but I'm just doing it in the I'm I'm doing what she's doing, but in the opposite way. Mm -hmm. So unless I'm genuinely uh, finding peace in Christ, I'm actually contributing to her anxiety. We um, we we did a, an episode with Carrie Stevens on the Enneagram quite a while back, mm, and um, and so as you're talking about this, I'm thinking through Enneagram types and how they may respond yeah. to anxiety. And uh, so yeah. my, my wife is an is a is a type nine, and um, so she she when she becomes anxious and anxiety begins to creep in on her, um, uh, you will find her in her bed completely under the blanket yeah. with earplugs in her ears. 
trying yeah. to just go to sleep. Um, yeah. and, yeah. uh, me, me on the other hand, I, I got to find something to do, feel a sense of accomplishment. Uh, you know, I may even actually have found myself going and doing yard work as a response to anxiety because I can <laughs> control that. I can actually go trim all the, the weeds and cut the grass and look and say, see, I affected some change today. I don't have to be so anxious, you know, and it's wild in our perfect. house, those, those, those dynamics. I, I love that because uh, I love the word that you used. I can control something. Exactly. And that's exactly, that's exactly what anxiety is. I, I'm a one. And so I'm a perfectionist. Okay. And my response to anything about anxiety is I'm just going to make my world perfect. I'm just going to get all the kids to behave and, uh, and just order my world and make it all neat and tidy. And it's just anxiety. It's just me trying to control my external world because my internal world is so out of control. Wow. Overfunctioning, underfunctioning. I'm just I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I'm just wrapping my head around that a little bit. How capable are we of actually knowing where we are on that scale? Like, is that something yeah. that I should be able to figure out mm-hmm. on my own? Or is that something I really need someone else to look at me and say, hey, Nate, I'm seeing this in you. And, uh, maybe this is connected to the anxiety that you're experiencing that you haven't talked to me about in a while. Yeah. I think that, uh, because anxiety is, so first of all, it's great if you can have a set of friends or a spouse or even our kids, you know, give us some feedback. That's really helpful. What's also helpful is to actually look at the reaction of others. So since anxiety is viral, if I'm if I'm walking in anxiety, I'm infecting the world around me. And so, I don't know about you, but I can often see sin in others much more quickly than I can see it in myself. So, <laughs> so, so it, this is kind of helpful for me because I watch somebody else being anxious, and I go, "Oh, what if their anxiety is actually feeding a, a, the result of my anxiety?" And so. One of the ways that I can find, identify my own anxiety is to see how people are responding around me. And that when they're walking in peace, I'm probably emanating the peace of the Lord. But if they're walking around in a heightened state, well, I'm probably giving off vibes that they're reacting off of. So just even watching the people around me can be a helpful signal for me as to what I'm walking in myself. So you talked about going to your wife and using chill out language. So that doesn't work. What does work? How can we actually help one another? One of the things that I like talking about is learning to take our pulse. You know how doctors or nurses or whatever, they put their two fingers on our neck and they, you know, they take our pulse. And I think learning to take our pulse is a really, really helpful thing. One of the ways that we do that, as I already said, is by looking at the people around us. The other is just by praying and asking God to search our heart and really learning to be skilled at being self-aware and what's motivating us. What I think is, is really powerful, let's just talk about it in terms of leadership. Leadership is less about my skill set and more about what's motivating me. And so the person who's able to set the, I don't know if this is the, the best term for it, but the person who can set the tone or mood in the room is the one who's leading. So it's less important about what I say to my wife and more important about why I'm saying it. And so if I'm telling her to chill out because actually I'm super stressed out and I'm just trying to control my surroundings, she can pick that up in a minute. Mm -hmm. But 
if I'm being self-aware and walking in the peace of the Lord, and then I, I, I'll say something kind to her, her anxiety will go down. But her anxiety is going down, not because I chose the perfect statement to tell her. It's because I was being aware of my own anxiety, dealing with it first. And then I'm able to be a blessing to the people around me. I just think that's such a, a powerful principle that the primary way that we lead others isn't by fixing them, it's by being self-aware and being a different person in the room. That's so good. And of course, that, that was part of the part of the lesson that you shared with us several years ago about mm. becoming a different person for them to react to. And that's right. That's something that has really fundamentally stuck with me. I'm not great at it by any means, Greg, but, uh, but it is something I think about all the time. Um, how can I be a different person to react to? And I know for me, uh, the way that I try to implement that in my life is, and this is incredibly hard for me, I'm an Enneagram eight, so I just cannot get out of my own way sometimes. <laughs> um, but, but, but if I, if I'm going to be successful, at actually helping people and not just running over people. And, and, and if I'm going to be successful at getting out of my own way, I, I often ask myself this question, like, okay, what do I want out of them? Let me just identify that so that I can set it aside. Wow. What do I, what do I want them to do right now? Just, I'll just, we've been talking about our spouses, so I'll just stay with that for the sake of the analogy. Yeah. Um, apologies to single folks. This will apply in any relationship that you have, I think. Yeah. But, but with my uh, wife, sometimes when I find myself wishing for something different, I'll, I'll actually cognitively play that out in my own brain a, mi a minute. You know, What do I want from her? Okay, and I've, I've fully identified that. Um, and, and by the way, the reason I do that and you can tell me if this is wise or not, but I'm just telling you what I do. The reason I do that is because I have learned that sometimes I sort of find that in the midst of an argument. And so as, a, yeah. as an eight, you know, sometimes I will just engage in a challenging situation before I even realize that I'm engaging in a challenging situation. And, and it's like a natural instinct for me to try to find what the problem is by fighting a little bit. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and so now that I've learned that about myself, rather than just going and instigating something to verbally process what it is I'm wanting, I'll pause myself and make myself think about what do I want from her? Then once I know what that is, I can set that aside and ask the next question, which is far more important. What does she need from me? Wow. And if I can do those sort of mental gymnastics, then I can actually become the person she needs me to be to react off of. But but that's me as an Enneagram 8. Talk to me about you, for example, as, as a one, as you've told us, and different personality types. What are some tools that other people could put in their toolbox to, to actually know that they really are becoming what the other person needs more than just trying to achieve what they want? Yeah, that's really good. It's like uh, what what we need to do, regardless of what our type would be, I think the common thing across that is putting the moment into slow motion. And so what you did is you. So what what anxiety does is it is it's uh, it's we actually stop thinking. It's our 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 feelings are heightened. We're we're just we're in reactivity mode, and so uh, what happens is is we come we become a little dumb. And but stronger, where we're just we're in that fight or flight, you know, uh, reptilian brain as they call it. And so, what you did is uh, is just a, a textbook example 
of taking a moment and slowing it down and moving out of reactivity and doing this magic thing called thinking. <laughs> it, but it's not easy to do when we're anxious, it's, right? It's not it's at just all. A, it's just a bunch of stuff going on in there. But what you did is you, in that moment, you decided to think and go, what's really motivating me right now? What are my expectations? What am I wanting? And as soon as you put the moment into slow motion and begin to think, now you can make non-anxious choices. And that, that, is just, uh, that is just so encouraging to hear you process a moment like that and, uh, and be able to slow it down. Because as we take our pulse, we ask ourselves, what's motivating us right now, fear or faith? That's the big question. What's motivating me, fear or faith? I can tell by how people are reacting to me. I can tell by all that's whirling around in my head. Okay, that's, so that's fear. So how do I move into faith? I slow down the moment and I begin to think, I begin to pray, and I ask Jesus to show me where he is in this moment. And as I, as I slow down the moment, uh, then I'm creating space to be able to find God's peace, to be able to think about what he's doing in the moment, and now I'm moving in a completely different trajectory. So ultimately what we're talking about is trust, trust in the Lord, yep. trust that we don't have to control every situation to yep. bring about a positive outcome. And man, that is just so much easier said than done. Oh man. So much easier said than done. You've talked about taking, taking pulse. Talk to us as well about how to rebuild trust. Because one of the things that, that I have, have found is that so we've talked about trusting God, but let's talk about trusting each other. Okay. I have found that I struggle to trust anxious people when, when they're mm. obviously anxious. Often I go, okay, is this you talking or is this the anxiety talking? It's kind of funny because, uh, we're anxious around people who are anxious. <laughs> so it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, isn't it? Is that we're, anxious that they're being anxious which makes them more anxious which makes us more anxious like, fascinating here we yeah. go yeah 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 and it, what's interesting is that what actually helps them become trustworthy is if we find the peace of the lord first so good because then as it as our anxiety goes down they become less reactive and now they become just much more helpful and enjoyable people and we didn't do any tip or trick to change them, we just became aware of our own anxiety. You know, I have people be, just because I'm a pastor, maybe I don't know, have a counseling background. People sometimes get anxious around me, like I can read their mind because I have a counseling background, or you know, or they it's an authority figure, and so they they talk faster and they, you know, a little bit louder, or they don't look me in the eye and they try to avoid me, whatever it is, over under functioning. But what I know is that as I bring the peace of the Lord into that moment, their anxiety goes down. So good. And they become the people that Jesus has always designed them to be. And I don't have to fix them or even point it out. I just have to make a joke about myself, not take myself too seriously. They go, wow, he's human too. This is great news. And uh, it just reduces their anxiety. And now they become trustworthy because I think all people are trustworthy and not. But what I can do is actually create space for them to become trustworthy just by how I'm viewing them and treating them in that moment. Fascinating, hey? It is so fascinating. And it's a little bit of a setup question because obviously I've heard you talk about this before. Um, but, but what you're really saying is 
I shouldn't wait for someone else to fix the situation. I should move <laughs> to help be a solver yeah. in the situation. Yeah, yeah. I think we underestimate how powerful the presence of the Lord is in our hearts, mm. that it actually changes the reality around us. I think we underestimate that all the time. But if I walk in the in the presence of the Lord, I think about Moses coming down from the mountain, his face shone with the glory of the Lord. I think about uh, how Jesus would walk into a moment and he would just change the reality of that moment. And if you notice, when Jesus walked into a moment, people got more godly and more sinful all at once. Wow. Like what was ever was in their heart came out. Came out, yep. And uh, and it just it just he just brought things into the light. And so I really think that God has given us the grace to be able to walk into to a moment. And here's the here's the big phrase that I really like, if there could be a drum roll, but it's to be the non-anxious presence in any given moment. What a huge gift we can give to people. Mm. That not some not some clever advice or not some sales pitch, but we just walk in moments being the non-anxious presence, knowing that God is present, he's in control, he loves us. And what ends up happening is we, as we are that non-anxious presence, the anxiety of everybody else gets reduced. And then we're all recognizing God in the room and uh, are able to participate in what he's doing instead of just reacting off of one another in anxiety. I can't help but think about Colossians 3.15 as you're talking, mm. which says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, wow. to which indeed you were called in one body. Wow. And be thankful. Wow. <laughs> and be thankful. Isn't that perfect? That's perfect. You can't be, by the way, you can't be thankful and anxious at the same time. No, you cannot. <laughs> That's so good. No. That's so Gratitude good. is a sign of uh, non-anxiety. It's interesting. We we um, in our part of our membership process here, we have six classes, seven really that people go through, but six of them are called foundations. And and in one of the classes uh, that I teach in that process is a class on worship. Um, but in the worship class, we actually start with Thanksgiving uh, because mm. I'm convinced you can't be a worshiper of God until you have learned how to be a thankful person. Uh, yeah. it starts there. Um, even praise has to be sort of preempted by gratitude and by yeah. Thanksgiving. And, um, and so I think that, that the same thing, you know, applies here. It's just, it's interesting, uh, how, how the scriptures even phrase that, you know, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts to which indeed you were called into one body. So this is part of our wow. sort of the way that we're in unity together demands this That's of right. us. I love what you said. We must preach the reality of the presence of God. And so while you are a very smart person, and in the intro, we talked about your pedigree, but at the end of the day, we have to put a premium on the presence of the Holy Spirit in our yeah. lives. And if we minimize that, if we minimize that, we, we really will just drift yeah. into another humanistic solution that's wrapped that's in a right. spiritual candy wrapper. I mean, is that right? That's right. Oh, Absolutely. It's so funny that the way that I was taught to preach and to do Bible studies was you always needed to end with an application. And the application point was always that I needed to try harder. Like it didn't matter what the Bible verse was or what the sermon was. Wow. Here are 10 tricks to try harder. Mm. And it's like, well, great. I was already failing at the last five and you've given me 10 more to you know, <laughs> Thank you at. very much. Yeah. yeah. 
But how does the gospel actually save us? How does Jesus actually set us free? And there's something about a heart at peace with the Father through the work of Jesus Christ and by his spirit that is, is truly transforming. And so when I look at places where I'm being anxious, it's those places in my life where I feel like I'm responsible and that I have to control. And so that becomes a sign for me, oh, okay. So no wonder it's not going well there. I'm the Lord of that area. Well, this is just obvious that my leadership is insufficient. So Father, I invite you to be the Lord of that area. And most of my energy isn't putting into uh, clever ways of managing the moment. It's being able to walk into that moment and stay in the peace of the Lord, stay in the presence of God, not let it trigger me to where I feel like I have to overfunction or underfunction, but that I, 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 I let the Father just rest on me in that moment. And I can feel the anxiety. You know, it starts to run my gut and it starts to get in my head and then my head swims. And that's a sign for me that I'm, I'm not yet found how to find the peace of Jesus in that place. And God doesn't condemn me with that. He just says, great. Well, it's good to be self-aware. And uh, that's why I read my Bible and pray and I rest in his presence so that when I go back into those places, I have a bit of a resource to be able to stay in peace in those triggering moments. Just looking at this broader passage, as we, as we start to kind of wrap up, I think the, the Bible's always a good place to go. But, but I'd like to actually read a few verses, if that's all right, and we'll just, we'll just talk about this a few moments here as we, as we start to close. Out of that same Colossians chapter 3, I'll, I'll include the verse I read a moment ago, but I'm just going to back up to verse 12. And, and I find the word choice interesting. I'm reading here from the ESV. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, in, the, in those first few verses, we're being told to do things. Put on this, mm. do this forgiving. But then in, in verse 15, here's the flip. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed yeah. you are called one body. Now, here we go again to do something, to be thankful. Mm-hmm. Now, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mm-hmm. Now we can do again, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns and, and psalms and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. Would you just reflect on, on on that for just a moment for us about the things we're supposed to do, but the things we're supposed to let happen? Yeah. There's another verse that's, uh, that's worth reading out at this point. It says the inverse of that. It's, it's Psalm 37, 8b. It says this. It says, do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. <laughs> do not fret. Do not be anxious. It only leads to evil doing. Wow. So the more that I'm anxious, the more I've got to control. And what is all sin? It's a way to manage our life without trusting in Jesus. Mm. Say that one more time. All sin is, is a way of managing our life outside of Jesus. I've got to, I've got to lie. I've got to gossip. I've got to do all of these things because I'm anxious that I'm out of control. So now I'm managing my life outside of Christ. And it just leads to more and more alienating behavior. 
powerful. And what you're describing in Colossians is the opposite of that, that as the word of Christ dwells in us, as we find his peace, then out of that place comes a whole different set of behaviors because of uh, our center has changed from trusting in ourselves to trusting in God. And isn't it practical? You know, Nathan, it, it feels sometimes like the gospel's impractical. It's like, yeah, I believe that he forgave my sins, whatever. No, it's super practical that sin is a result of not trusting in Jesus. Everything not of faith, Romans 14 says, everything not of faith is in. And the opposite is true, that as we trust in him, as we let him transform our hearts, then what comes out of the overflow of our hearts, our, mo our most speaks, and that we, we speak words of kindness and generosity and forgiveness and all these beautiful things come out of a heart that has been transformed by the presence of God. It's so powerful. And I'm really, really glad that we got to talk about this. I'm personally just ministered to today by hearing some of this from you, some for again and some for the first time. It's very helpful. It's very powerful. Is there any closing words that you'd like to leave with the audience before we conclude our time together today? Let me just say one more thing, because I think it's helpful. The first negative emotion ever recorded in the Bible was anxiety Wow! in the garden. It's the first negative emotion. The command, do not be afraid, is the most common command in all of Scripture. The call to not be afraid is mentioned 12 times more often than do not make idols. And we know that idolatry is a big deal in Scripture. Wow. The issue of anxiety is a big deal in the Word of God. And it's a big deal because it's a big deal. And God has emphasized it in his word because he knows that as we move from fear to faith, everything follows out of that. And so that's my prayer for anyone who's listening today, that they would find the freedom to move from fear into faith, because that's where the presence of God is. That's so good. Dr. Greg, thank you so much for being on our podcast today on Tuesdays of for Talking. We really appreciate your time. God bless you all. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Tuesdays Are For Talking. For more information about how to get and stay connected to us, head over to mosaicchurchaustin.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We hope you'll make plans to join us next week.